It has been, man, I think it's been nine weeks since I've been able to preach for you guys. And um, they say it's like riding a bike. And I uh, never really like riding bikes, so I don't know. <laughs> I hope that we're going to be okay today. Um, we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 7. And the, the passage, it doesn't always line up perfectly with the way the calendar is going. So this isn't really going to have anything to do with Mother's Day, just so you know. Um, I mean, if you want to make some connections between us talking about false teachers and mothers. That's on you. I, that's on you. Um, but we're going to be looking today at continuing in our series, uh, Sermon on the Mount. And just to give you guys an update, if you're wondering, like, hey, you're back and how are you doing? Uh, I just completed six weeks of, uh, basically I'm six weeks past surgery and I'm feeling really good and crushing uh, my rehab, just, just going in there and doing all the movements that they want me to, and they, they stick things on me and watch me and test me, and they say everything's working really good, and, and my heart is actually working at 100%, uh, maybe for the first time in my whole life, which is pretty crazy, yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, and they get my heart rate up to, you know, so far we've been testing, and I've been doing really well at 140, 150, even if I'm pushing really hard, so things are really good, and I'm feeling really good. Um, didn't have any naps this week. I know that's a big moment for all of you guys who are like, yeah, but you've been taking a nap every day for five weeks. I was, and it was glorious. And now the naps are over, and now I'm back in the office. And so, um, you know, thanks for those of you who were uh, supportive to our family. I mean, so many people either brought us food or, or gave us gift cards or money or provided in other ways uh, for our family. We just feel so blessed, and it's amazing to be part of this community. Uh, but now we're back. We're back. And so I'm hoping that from here on out, it's just continued up and to the right, I think. Um, is that what the, does the Bible say? It's always up and to the right for every... For every? I'm going with health and wealth gospel this morning. Uh, so we're going to be picking up here with Matthew chapter 7. And I've really enjoyed listening to other people's commentary on some of these really well-known passages. These are passages that I've preached before, but listening to other people talk about them has been refreshing to me. Um, and I think last week we had Caitlin, uh, or last week we had Bobby, and the week before we had Caitlin. Listening to both of them uh, give their perspectives was great. Having Aaron preach like six weeks out of the last nine was amazing to listen to him talk about it. And so uh, I'm kind of picking up where we've been going with all these other um, people talking about the Sermon on the Mount. But I want you guys to know that the Sermon on the Mount is coming to this like end. And the end, we're going to break into three sermons and the end is, uh, it's about as tough as it gets when it comes to the, hey, you might want to actually listen and do some of this stuff. That like, it's not enough for us to just listen and go, well, that's a great, great sermon. I think a lot of us, we do that. We, we maybe accumulate for ourselves, as, uh, as Paul wrote to Timothy, that we accumulate teachers that tell us what our itching ears want to hear. And that, we're, that there will be a time where people won't put up with sound doctrine. that They'll just sort of accumulate pastors, and I don't know if you're anything like me, but like when I go through my like podcast list, there's a couple pastors that I don't even know. I don't go to their church. I don't really, like I'm not out there vetting everything they say, but I listen to some of their teaching. And we're in a time where we can kind of collect to us people that agree with the things that we want to, to hear someone say. Um, often when people come to our church, one of the first questions they ask is, hey, tell me your stance on this issue. Right? Whatever their pet issue is, whatever thing they want to you know, talk about, whatever thing they want to hear our, our viewpoint on, they start with, tell us what your church has to say about 
this issue. And some of those issues are settled. You know, I, I can refer them to our doctrines, doctrinal statement, which is the same statement that our, our do- denomination, Converge, has. And basically, it's got all of our main theological viewpoints kind of mapped out. And some of those things are close-handed issues. They're things that we would go to the map for, and we would protect, and we would be really strong about. And there are other issues that are like not necessarily so, open, so close-handed. They're more open-handed. We would say, hey, we could disagree on some of these things, and we may not necessarily have to have uniformity among everyone when it comes to certain viewpoints and beliefs. But when someone comes to you and they say, hey, tell us your viewpoint on this issue or this issue or this issue, it's almost always the most controversial issue. It's almost always the one that we don't have to agree on exactly to be in community with each other. And so my, my sort of way of handling that is just to make them angry. I know, I, it's not a really good church growth strategy. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. But I basically say to the person, listen, I want you to understand that if you have a specific pet issue that we have to qualify you know, with your purity test on what it takes to be part of this community, then this is not the church for you. I don't, I'm not standing up here saying everyone has to believe exactly the same thing as me, and that's the only way to be part of this. What I will tell you is that I will do my best to tell you what is in the Bible and what Jesus' stance is on whatever it is we're talking about, and I'll be honest and straightforward with you, and I won't back down from what that truth is. But there's plenty of things we don't have to agree on exactly. There's some stuff we do, right? A lot of that stuff has to do with Jesus and the way that we look at Scripture and the truth that we believe. Those things are very important, and they're written in, literally in our Constitution, written into our doctrinal statement, You can find them on our website if you have questions. I will be glad to answer and clarify any of those points. The rest of the stuff we don't have to 100% agree on. And that leads us to a weird place because sometimes we want to to allow the things that we want to be true to supersede the things that are actually written in Scripture. We want to allow those things to sort of collect this idea and we collect this idea, we collect this teacher and we collect this teacher and we find ourselves going down this path where we are before long into the weeds with false teachers and false doctrines. When you have to do too much gymnastics to make your point work with Scripture, you're in trouble. Okay, and so let me show you what Jesus has to say about this. And I'm actually going to start in chapter 7, and I'm going to start in verse 16. I have it here in front of me. Verse 16, taking these glasses off. Don't make fun of me. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by the fruit you will recognize them. Now, as a junior high youth pastor, right, for a very long time, you can do a really easy camp message. You pull this passage right here. You pull a passage from James that says you can't have... Uh, salty water coming from a fresh spring, you can't have olives coming from a fig tree, and then you tell all the kids that they're going to be cut down and burned unless they accept Jesus. <laughs> and all of them throw their hands up and accept Jesus. It's, really, it's like a formula. Like You just follow the, do you want to be cut down and burned for eternity? And they go, no, I don't want that. And that's, that's how I've always had this preached to me. 
I've always had this preached to me like, hey, are you a good tree producing good fruit or are you a bad tree producing bad fruit? And if you just read from 16 on, that's what you get. However, we, we skipped over 15, and I did that on purpose. Now let me read this passage to you again with 15 in the mix. Watch out for false prophets. This, this is how this passage begins. Often I will see this preached from verse 15 and then applied to all disciples. Is this being applied to all disciples? And is this about all disciples? No. This passage is about false prophets. Jesus himself is going out of his way to point out false prophets. Now listen how this changes if you read the whole thing. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Sorry, I'm going to get there for a second. I skipped and went to 21. But here we go, 15. Follow this. Come in... Come to you, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. Every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by the fruit you will recognize them. That passage reads way different when it's not applied to just any disciple. It's applied to false prophets. Okay, So follow along with what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I came into a situation here where Israel is being misled by false prophets. There are people out here speaking for God or speaking improperly about God, and they're looking to mislead people down the wrong path. And I'm going to cut those people down, and I'm going to put them in the fire, okay? I don't want you to go home and have nightmares about being cut down and put in the fire because there's a different standard that teachers are held to than regular disciples, your, your perfect theology and doctrine, what you believe about Scripture, what you believe about God, and the things that you believe, your perfect theology and doctrine do not get you burned up and thrown into, into hell. However, if you are a false teacher, a wolf in sheep's clothing, there's a different level, a different standard, and a different aggression that Jesus deals with those people at. He's basically saying to the 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 uh, Pharisees and the people who are leading the Jewish people, hey, I'm on to you guys. He got, well, in another section calls them whitewashed tombs. He says, you look great on the outside, but inside you are dead. He says, you guys talk a good game, but you're leading people down the wrong path. And guess what? There's a different standard for you than there is for everybody else. He's going to get to disciples in a minute, us, the rest of us. But for teachers, for prophets, for people who stand up and speak for God and speak about God, that there's a standard to make sure that we're very careful to teach and preach the right stuff. And I, and I got to tell you, it's a, it's a really tough place to be. Sometimes there are days when I think, you know, am I leading people down the right path or down the wrong path? You know, later on here when it's going to talk about disciples and it's going to say there are some disciples who like did amazing things in Jesus' name and he got to the end and judged them and said, I don't even know you. I wonder, is our church producing people who do a lot of activity for Jesus who don't have any personal relationship with God at all. Like, that's a burden as a teacher that we should always have in the forefront of our mind. Are we teaching the right things? Because the things that we believe, that, that's what causes us to do the things that we you know, do in this life, and those are the things that affect our lives. So if you don't believe the right stuff, that can actually affect you significantly in your relationship with God and how you live. So Jesus isn't holding you exactly to the standard, but he's talking about false prophets. And the original Greek word, that word false, is the word pseudo. You've probably heard that word before, pseudo, pseudoscience. 
This is a big one that the media loves to throw around. Oh, that's pseudoscience. Fake, right? This is fake teaching or fake prophets that we're talking about. Deceptive. They're ultimately going to be destroyed and cut down. And the question is, how many people will they take with them? And you're like, well, there's not really that many of those kinds of people in our world. And that is like so wrong. I think today we have more of those people than ever before. You know, social media allows people to have an incredible reach with their terrible teaching that draws in disciples from all over the world to agree with their terrible take on whatever it is that they're talking about. I heard, I heard a guy, I, I'm, I apologize for the language that I'm about to use and the story that I'm about to tell you, but this is real. You can't make this up. This pastor this week, I saw this on the socials, and I, I, I like couldn't believe it. He's, these were words that came out of his mouth, and I'm paraphrasing this, but I'm not getting it wrong. He said, he said um, we, I want to make sure that I say this correctly, because this is ridiculous. He said, we don't make it rain on strippers. This is, this is the words coming out of his mouth. The only stripper that we love is Jesus, because he stripped himself of his divinity and became a man. And then he said, and he died butt naked on a pole. And we worship, and, and I just said, I'm like, this was so you could get as many eyeballs on social media that you possibly could and get as many people to pay attention to it. And so use whatever method necessary to get people to roll their eyes at you, to think that's the greatest idea that's ever happened. I'm just telling you, there are pastors and preachers out there that the only reason they're saying the things that they're saying is so that they can increase a following online and get as many eyeballs as they possibly can. And sometimes we're scrolling and we have no context to what we're looking at. And they say something smart and we like that and we follow that person. And now we have that person's feed in our feed. And now we're seeing false doctrine and false teaching every single day in our feed. And it's just being parroted out and being shared and retweeted and reshared a million times over. Like, we have a huge problem with false teaching. Gigantic problem. Causes people to do crazy things to get eyeballs on them. And that's a terrible example. But there are sometimes ones that are even worse where they're purposefully misleading people so that they can make a point or move doctrine in a certain direction or get everyone to pay attention to their pet issue. And we're watching doctrine and theology, the things we believe about God, the things we believe about Scripture, erode in front of us. In fact, if we're not careful, we watch false teachers take these false doctrines and just continue to make them more and more popular. And we hear these, self, these, these uh, false teachers, right, teaching things that read more like self-help or new age mumbo-jumbo, that read more like uh, tapping into our selfishness that God is here for our protection. They, they preach a health and wealth gospel. Or um, that they touch on our pride, that they tell us that we can be saved by our own works. Or, and go on and on and on. All of these things are all over the place in front of us. So you're like, okay, so how do I identify one of these teachers? And how do I avoid letting their sort of corrosive teaching into my life? As Jesus is saying, like, hey, 
These guys are set to be destroyed. Don't go along. Don't listen. Don't allow this to be part of who you are. Don't allow this to be in your feed. Stay away. Stay away and don't listen. Don't allow this to be part of who you are. And so how do we figure that out? Well, I want to move us to 2 Peter chapter 2, if you will follow along with me here. 2 Peter chapter 2. And here's what Peter says about false teachers and false prophets. He says, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 1, But there are also false prophets among the people, just as, there, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing them swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. So Peter says, hey, there's some things we can pay attention to to find out if there are false teachers among us and to pay attention and identify these false teachers. The first thing he says is that these false teachers bring about destructive heresies. Heresy is basically like teaching an incorrect thing, a, a, a theology, a piece of theology or doctrine, right? What we believe about God or what we believe about Scripture teaching something that is knowingly false, that they'll sort of bring in this heresy, this false teaching, and they'll sort of introduce it and quietly bring it into the conversation and start to allow it to catch and get some root. Now, these false teachers were meant, they meant what they were doing and they were taking people off track. Most of these heresies, what we don't understand, and this is kind of where we need to go when we're not sure about something, we're actually, most of the ones we're dealing with today, are actually really old. What you may not understand is that Christianity is 2,000 years old, and we've been talking through and trying to interpret Scripture for 2,000 years, and we've eliminated most of the really poor teaching and heresies. We've had conversations with them, you know, about them 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago. There are heresies that continue to come back about who Jesus is, about Scripture, about how we interpret Scripture, that actually have been disproven and kind of gotten rid of multiple times before in history. And in fact, some of the heresies we see today are just a retread of something we've already worked through and said, you know what, this is not how we interpret Scripture. Like if we're unsure of whether something fits into orthodox theology or doctrine, we can go backwards and we can look at what history has said about the same teaching before. That, I had a, a professor one time, and he said, if you uh, come up with a new idea, a new piece of theology or doctrine, it's definitely wrong. He's like, you're going to want to go write a book about it, and you're going to think you're so brilliant, and you're going to tell everybody that you came up with this idea. He's like, it's definitely wrong. If someone else didn't come up with the same idea in the last 2,000 years is not right. We have church history to look at. We have doctrinal and theological history that we can look back and say, this is a heresy, this is a false teaching, this is wrong thinking. Right? And I think the ones that we're seeing all over the place now, the sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and it's your own good works that save you, the health and wealth gospel, the what I call sort of the sugar-coated gospel where everything's friendly and happy, the God is your there to protect you gospel. I mean, there's all these variant forms of theology that are heresies, and false teachers are trying to uh, bring them into the conversation 
and make them part of, get, help them grab some, some roots so that way they can kind of grow up and become a problem for the church. And almost always, the thing that happens with these false doctrines or these heresies that come to the church are that it divides the church in ways that we shouldn't be divided. Right? It just continues to divide us into little sects of people that go, hey, we believe this, and we don't believe that, we don't believe this. And we start dividing over things that aren't really that important and generally are incorrect. And if we can't look back at the 2,000 years of history and sift and sort all these things out and understand what the Word actually has to say and look at the entire Bible in context, then we're missing out on identifying these things and getting them out of our lives. It also means we need to know what the Bible has to say. It means we've got to read the Bible and look at the whole thing and understand it in its context. That's not just... You know, us going, I don't know about this one. It's like, yeah, well, if we read the whole Bible and understood it in its context, then we would understand this is like a very small way of thinking and the rest of the Bible has this to say about it. So they introduce destructive heresies. That's how you can identify. Number two, the second way to identify them is that they deny the real Jesus. And this, I think, is like significant in a day of social media because people basically want to paint Jesus in a certain light and create a fake Jesus, and get people to follow that one. But they want to get rid of a certain part of Jesus, or a certain teaching of Jesus that they don't love, or that doesn't fit the cultural narrative, or isn't going to work with the, you know, the, the way culture is going. And so we're going to minimize this part of Jesus, and maximize this part of Jesus. We end up creating this fake Jesus that people, and says that they really deny the real Jesus. That they deny the master they change the message, they change him so that he becomes palatable, that he becomes a palatable version of himself. And I just, I just think sometimes Jesus isn't always palatable. He's offensive. I think if you are a Christian long enough, you'll be offended by the gospel. You'll be offended by something, some teaching of Jesus's. If it's not his teaching on marriage, divorce, on you know, giving to the poor, on how we should be using our money, on spiritual hypocrisy, on, I mean, just go through what we've talked about the last, you know, 10 weeks in this series. Like, it's, his teachings are offensive. Right? I think of like that Braveheart scene, if I can go way back, I know some of you are like, what's Braveheart? Um, where they're like sitting out on the field and they're about ready to fight and this, the sort of noblemen come out to the middle and there's going to be this meeting and all of a sudden the protagonist, you know, uh, Braveheart goes out and he's just like, he's just like rides out in the middle and, they, and before he rides out, they're like, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm going to pick a fight. And then he goes out and picks a fight. And I won't tell you what he does. You can go watch the movie and it's inappropriate for church. Um, but Jesus, in a lot of ways, in a lot of his teaching, was picking a fight with religious leaders, false teachers, who were guiding people in the wrong direction. And he was taking the argument straight to them. There were times when Jesus thinned the crowd of disciples that were following him on purpose. John chapter 8, it says that he basically had this party atmosphere of people who were following him, and they were there for days and he was feeding them all, and everybody was there to see the spectacle. Every day they would basically be like, show us something new, Jesus, that impresses us. And so he taught them, 
And he said, hey, if you're my true follower, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. That was his literal teaching that next day. And people were like, what? And they, it says like a whole bunch of disciples left. And then he had a conversation with his disciples like, yeah, are you guys going to leave me too? Like, I'm just telling you, I thinned the crowd on purpose. I picked a fight with people to push and make sure that they were really going to be disciples to be disciples, not just to be part of what was the, the spectacle of what, what he was doing. And so the culture wants to create a Jesus that's palatable, and he's not always palatable, and his teaching is definitely not always palatable, and sometimes he's trying to pick a fight, and he might be trying to pick a fight even with us. And if we're too stuck in our religious ways, that definitely Jesus is trying to push us towards his way of life. It doesn't look like what our culture looks like, and it should pick a fight with our culture. And so a false teacher is denying the real Jesus. Number three, they're leading followers into depraved conduct. And that that word depraved conduct actually translates also into sensuality. Right In Philippians 3, it talks about how um, there will be enemies of the cross and their destiny is destruction and their God is in their their stomach and their glory is in their shame. And I've always think about that, you know, a false teacher will lead their disciples into sensuality, into serving their stomach, that their glory will be in their shame. They will have no shame. Right? They'll lead people astray. And we've seen how many? I mean, I feel like the worst false teachers are the ones with the biggest platforms. Like, just turn the television on. There's a false teacher. I don't know what's going on with them, but that's one of them sensuality is where it goes. How many times have we seen these holy people who are put up on a pedestal that no one has a relationship with, that's not connected to anybody, lead their church into a place of destruction, to a depraved place? And we've seen it over and over and over and over. You keep thinking, not that guy, or not that person, or not this one. But it turns out if you just make the church big enough and you separate the pastor from the congregation and you put them up on a pedestal of perfection, they always fall. You should know your pastor. You should have their phone number. If you can't text somebody on staff, your church is too big. Right? Like, there's nobody here playing games and hiding and being separated. All of us, every staff member we have is in small group. All of us are connected to real people at this church. People really know us. Now, I can't know every single person, but every person on our staff is connected with the people of this church. There's nobody on a pedestal. The minute you start, I mean, like, thank you for clapping at the beginning of this, but that made me feel really uncomfortable. So I was about to tell you don't do that. I, I get it. But honestly, the bigger the platform the bigger the church, the bigger the, the bigger the problem that starts with the, the person who's on the pedestal who has to be perfect in front of everybody. I am not perfect. I'm probably a worse parent than you. I probably swear more than you. I'm probably, there are a lot of things about me that are not perfect. And that's okay. I don't expect it from you, and I don't think you should expect it from me. However, right, I'm in a group where we push each other to be who God called us to be. That's what it looks like to be authentic. That's what small groups are about. They're about living life with people, people knowing who you are and pushing you to be who God has called you to be. 
how many of these pastors are going to fail before we're going to start calling this out and just saying, hey, these churches are getting too big. It's just not sustainable. It's not a smart idea to have 25,000 people go into a church where one person is standing up on stage teaching where no one knows that person. That's a terrible model. It will fail. Will it fail this year? I don't know. Will it fail next year, five years, ten years from now? It will fail. And I'm telling you right now, I'm going to fail you. At some point, I'll fail you. Hopefully in small ways. <laughs> that's what I'm rooting for. That's what I'm going for. But we're not, no, none of us are perfect, man. This is what it means to be authentic. So these false teachers will lead people into depraved conduct, into sensuality. Number four, they will greedily exploit the church. And I think a lot of these sort of social media pastors or these pastors that have these giant TV things or these ones that have these humongous churches, they write a book, they exploit the church, they sell their 20,000 copies to the amount of people that they were able to gather around them, and it's exploitative. It's for the pastor. It's to make sure that we're serving the person that we put on the pedestal. You know, they're private jets, $400 Nikes. I mean, just like, I mean, I got special diabetic shoes, so those are probably actually (laughs) $400, so I'm just going to continue on here. They're going to exploit, they exploit the church, and it's about them and not necessarily about the position that they've been given or the, the, the amount of, uh, the amount the church can affect the community that they're in. It becomes about the person and not about the effect the church can have. And it leads to, last one, it leads to rotten fruit. And this is where I would insert a joke about getting cut off by cars with stickers from churches. But the fruit that we're talking about is not the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit that we're talking about is what gets produced from that ministry. It's the teaching of that ministry. It's the disciples of that ministry. Listen, I think the best thing about this church is you guys. I think our people are the best thing about this church. Am I the best preacher in the entire world? Definitely not. I think our strength is in our people. When someone comes to this church and they meet our people, they get drawn into this community. So if you're producing rotten fruit, if you're producing people that don't see themselves as gospel representatives in the world around them, if you're seeing a ministry that has just a wake of dead bodies, of people they, they basically sucked up and used and chewed up and spit out, that's a problem. That's rotten fruit for a ministry. And so the question is, are we seeing this stuff and are we calling it out and are we losing it, eradicating it from our lives, not listening to the messages and paying attention and being discerning about, about the, the message of false teachers? By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Eventually, they get thrown into the fire. Eventually, they get cut down. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus says, you'll see this false teacher, this false prophet, 
And you'll know because you'll see that there's terrible fruit coming from their ministry. You know, to make this a little bit more personal, I was thinking about a friend I had in ministry. And I was thinking about just all the amount of volunteers and, and people that had worked with this person. And I was trying to think through, you know, how many of those people went on to do other types of ministry or went on to have strong faiths or, or that their chance to serve in that ministry actually, you know, increased their faith or, or grew them as disciples. And I went through and I, I thought about just years and years of watching this person do ministry, someone who I had a lot of respect for. But then I actually started to think, like, I couldn't think of one person. I know that sounds like, like a really strong statement, but I couldn't think of one person who had volunteered in this ministry or been close to this person or who had done ministry with this person who hadn't deconstructed their faith, walked away from their faith, not gone on to do more ministry. And then I started to think about, man, what about my ministry? And then I started to think about, because, you know, we did, I did 20 years of youth ministry before I was even here. And I started to think about all the volunteers and the students that we had kind of graduated on to greater things and started thinking through the volunteers who had gone on to other ministries and done other things, who had joined church staffs, who had gone from being interns to being full-on pastors, you know, kids who had left our ministry and gone on to start campus ministries on their colleges, gone on to become volunteers in their future churches. And I started to think, okay, so there's been some good fruit from this ministry that, we, that I got to be a part of. And this other person who I had tons of respect for, there was no fruit at all from what they were doing. And I just think sometimes we miss the forest from the trees that like there is a bigger idea of what the kingdom is and the ministries that we have that we're in charge of, especially to our staff and those of you who lead ministries, we should be producing kingdom-minded people that continue on to do greater things than even we were able to see them do in our ministries in the future. We should see them be doing that in other places, in other callings, and in wherever God is calling them on to. I think about even people that have left this church and moved and gotten involved somewhere else and have become amazing volunteers there. People who have gone on to have ministry opportunities, you know, and have worked here in this church. And I hope that continues to be what we do, that we create more for the kingdom. It's not all about us hoarding all the resources and wearing out everybody. It's about us sending people all over the place and having good fruit in this ministry. And so we are called to judge teachers but we are also called to judge each other. And so I'm not going to let you off the hook. Look here, the last section here, Matthew 7, 21. Here's what Jesus has to say about you, about regular disciples, about everybody. He says, not everyone, okay? Who's he talking about? Not just false teachers anymore. Everybody, okay? All of us. All of us who would say that he is our Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, okay? So who's he talking about? People who would identify Jesus as Lord, I think most people who come to a church on a Sunday are either interested in checking out Jesus or they would say, Jesus is my Lord. That's why I'm here. I'm here to worship. I'm here to be part of this community. This is what I'm called into. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles? Then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. 
And at the end of the day, the question for us is not about our perfect doctrine if you're a disciple of Jesus. It's about your level of obedience. This is the question you should ask yourself if you want to test yourself, if you want to see uh, where you are at in your faith. Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? And what is your obedience level? You know, Jesus, as he was going to the cross, gave his final teaching to his disciples. And one of the things that he hit on, and he hit on a lot of things, he was trying to give them confidence. He was trying to help them understand that there's going to be a place in heaven for them. He was trying to tell them, hey, I'm going away, but I'm, but I'm going to come back in the form of the Holy Spirit. You're going to have me still as part of your life because you'll have access to the Holy Spirit. But also, I want, I want you to understand that here's what's really, really, really important to me. So John chapter 14, here's what he says, verse 15. John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and knows them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Look, at the end of the day, we can't let culture tell us what's true about God. We have to let Jesus and his word show us what's true about God. We've got to run it through the filter of 2,000 years of history to understand that what we're believing is the right thing. And at the end of the day, we have to back up and we have to say, what is my obedience level? What God desires from me is not perfection, and it is not perfect theology, and it is not perfect doctrine. These things are great. This, this is the call of the teacher to make sure that they're protecting those things. But the call of the regular disciple is actually much more about knowing Jesus and being obedient. Now, that's easy, right? They're not going to be obedient. No, it's not. Go back and read the last three chapters that we just went through. I mean, are you serious? What did Jesus just tell us to do, man? He's like, hey, you got to take it to the, this whole other level. You're going to have to love your enemies, and you're going to have to do marriage the way that I've called you to do it. You're going to have to, you know, not, not just not be murderous, but you can't hate anybody. He, you know, and he just keeps raising the bar and raising the bar and raising the bar, and he says at the end, hey, I want you to be obedient to this. It's not possible to be perfectly obedient, but God is calling us to further obedience every day of our lives as disciples. And if you're in a place where you haven't grown in your obedience over time, that might be a really good indication to the idea, not that you've made it, because you don't make it, but that maybe you've kind of fallen into this trap of, hey, I'm, this is as obedient as I'm going to get. I think if you were going to be serious about looking at this entire Sermon on the Mount, you'd be stepping back and saying, there's a lot of places where my obedience level has to change. If, if it's not like internally the way that I think, if it's not how I treat other people, if it's not how I use my money and my resources, it's not the generosity level that I have, it's not how I treat... All of these things get identified in this teaching. And if we're being serious disciples, we should be growing in obedience in every single one of these areas and not being stagnant and not stopping and not giving, it, giving up. You know, I was thinking about this. It's really hard to identify where my issues got worse with my heart. I was thinking about this a lot. You know, I was born with a congenital heart defect. I had a bicuspid aortic valve. You can look it up. It just basically means that my valve that pumps the blood into my heart is just not working at 100% capacity. 
And when I was a kid, I got checked out, and they were like, yeah, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Just, you know, go be a kid. And when you're a kid, it doesn't matter because you just run around like a psycho and do whatever you want, and you're fine, right? But as I got older, if I was paying attention to that bicuspid aortic valve, I probably would have had a little bit less bacon, a few less cheeseburgers, probably would have worked out a little bit more, would have paid attention to it. You know, when I did start paying attention to it is when it became a problem. When I would be out of breath walking to my car outside. Or when my kids would be playing and running around and they'd want me to play with them and I'd just stand there and watch. Right? Like your sin problem and your obedience level, they become a problem when you're not paying attention to it and you start to feel some of the effects of what it means to not be obedient in certain areas that you know you are called to be obedient. The question is, are you going to wait for the heart attack, right? Or are you going to start to become more obedient over time? It, either way, takes a drastic change, right? Now if I'm going to have bacon or like a cheeseburger, like I have to sneak it. Like, I was at, like, uh, Wink and Rooster the other day, and I ordered a, a chicken Caesar wrap. And the person I was with, I know, that's funny, me eating a chicken Caesar wrap. The person I was with ordered a barbecue pork sandwich with bacon on it. And all the people behind the counter wanted to yell at me because they thought my order was the barbecue pork sandwich with bacon on it. And I was like, I'm the one eating the, the lettuce. Give me a break. Listen, if you don't, Pay attention to your sin level, to your obedience level, to your lordship, right? To what, who's lord in your life. And before long, this becomes a crisis. It becomes a problem, right? False teachers are the smallest thing, the smallest problem that you're going to have if you don't continue to grow in obedience as a disciple. And even as I say this to you, you know what areas of your life you are holding back obedience. Right? You know the sin patterns that you have in your life and the places that you don't want to deal with God or let him in or let him be part of the conversation or let him push you or, or really face or really have conversations about. And so what are you waiting for? You're waiting for a catastrophe to happen before you're going to change or are you going to allow obedience to grow in your life? You're going to share that with other people. You're going to walk the path of changing your lifestyle. You're going to become the disciple that God has called you to become. Or are you going to wait for the drastic change to be thrust upon you in a time that you don't want it to be thrust upon you? It's your call. This is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying Israel got really far away from God and we've just been okay with just settling into our obedience level and it's not the one that I have for you. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Now, next week we're going to talk even more about how to be wise and how to put this all in practice. But let me close us today in prayer. And let me just encourage you to think about where you're at in your obedience level. Jesus, thank you for this really tough teaching, God. Thank you that your teaching isn't, isn't easy. It's not sugar-coated. God, help us to take seriously the places in our lives where we have not been the disciples that you've called us to be. Help us to hate our sin, to fight in those areas where we want to give up, 
God, would you help us see small growth, little bit of growth every day over time? Would you change us? Would you create us into the disciples that you want us to be? Would you change the world by using us in ways that grow your kingdom? Thank you for giving us this church of real people who really love you. God, would you just continue to push us and not leave us alone? And would you meet us when we respond to that nudge? In Jesus' name, amen.